Amen. If you have a Bible, if you want to open up with me to uh, 1 Timothy. Continue our series in 1 Timothy this morning. Just a question as we, as we get going. Uh, how do you share the gospel? How do you share the gospel with people? We'll really define what I mean by that is as we continue to go this morning. But, you know, do you just tell someone, like, just God loves you? Just believe, believe in Jesus, and you're going to heaven. What if they don't know the gospel, or they, and they don't know who Jesus is? And what if they consider themselves to, like, I'm just a good person. Okay, I just add Jesus to my life? Is that what you're saying? And, like, by whose standards are we talking about good? If someone were to define themselves by that. I, I pray that this message, the word that we're looking at this morning can help us in our ability to share the gospel by using the law of God uh, to prepare a person for the good news. Because it's good news because there's bad news. And often if we just jump to, like, I just want to tell you the good news about Jesus, what we're doing, we're almost hardening people's hearts to the gospel. They're like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll follow this God. I'll accept this invitation. I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to make any changes in my life. I'll just add Jesus to what I'm doing. And I think that can be uh, so detrimental, actually, to someone's spiritual life. So I pray this word this morning can help us to see how to properly use God's law in preparation to point people to our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, if you want to stand with me, we're going to be reading in the First Timothy. I'm going to be looking at verses 8 to 11 in my sermon. We're going to read, start in verse 3, kind of to bring the context of the message to us. First Timothy 1 verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. So last week we looked at kind of Paul's charge to Timothy, his, his kind of young protege in the faith to go to Ephesus to basically go after these people, these false teachers who are teaching a different doctrine. And we kind of looked at, like, what was his charge? His charge was to tell them to quit speaking a different doctrine. We defined kind of what doctrine was. And we also kind of looked at what were these people teaching. They were going into the Old Testament. They were teaching basically about myths and genealogies. and just led to vain discussion, endless speculation. And then we looked at what was Timothy's call. And his call, same as our call, is, is a call to, to love. 
So we saw his ministry. Well, Paul kind of continues on here in the letter. We see Paul giving greater clarity, again, with these kind of false teachers in the background that he's speaking to on how to use God's law properly. Because these teachers were going into God's law, like that's an okay place to be, but how they were using it wasn't right. So we're going to look at that. So how do you use God's law properly? And then after, when we're doing that, we also want to talk about how to use the law to expose sin. And then in contrast, and then with the gospel, that which is good, we want to give correction, but then land with hope. And that's kind of where we want to go this morning as we look at God's word. So look at verse 8 with me. We want to think about how to use God's law properly. Verse 8 says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. He starts with like, now we know, like, hey, Timothy, remember the things I've taught you. Like, we're, we're on the same page here. He, he uses this language elsewhere in, in the scriptures, but basically, like, okay, you, you already know what I'm about to share with you, but I just want to remind you of what it is and remind you of what it is, what we believe. And then again, this is in contrast to what the false teachers would hold to, who weren't using the law properly. I'm going to keep that in the background continually. They were using the Old Testament, that's great, but how they're applying it to their lives was totally off base. So again, when I'm talking about the law of God, for sure there's like the narrow definition of the law, like the Ten Commandments, which is speaking of that, but it's more broadly, it's like talking about God's Word. What God has said is often referred to as God's law in the Old Testament. So a few things I want us to note, just the first, is that the law is good. God's law is good. A few places we find that in Scripture, what um, Lisa even shared there in Psalm 33, but I just want to bring your attention to Psalm 19, uh, 7 to 9. Psalm 19, 7 to 9 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And actually there's a number of statements, they're all saying the same thing in different ways. It's kind of like what Hebrew uh, can do at times, Hebrew poetry. So the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure. Making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God's law is good. God's law is good. And just draw your attention to another place, Psalm 119. I don't know if anyone's familiar with Psalm 119. It's the, the biggest psalm we have in the Bible. It's like over and over and over again talking about how good God's law is. Psalm 119 verse 24, it says, Your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. Verse 30, I've chosen the way of faithfulness, I've set your rules before me. And 35, lead me in the path of your commandments where I delight and I can keep going on and on. I just want you to see like over and over again in the Old Testament, like God's law is good. It's a good thing. God's law is good. It shows God's holy standard. It shows His, His righteous ways. It displays His holiness. And actually, as we would read and meditate upon God's law, His word found there in the Old Testament, we'd actually gain a fear of Him, a holy fear of Him. And, and that is a good thing. So God's law is good. What, is, what does Paul say to Timothy? So he says, God's law is good. 
The law is good if one uses it lawfully, or one uses it legitimately. One uses it in the right way. So we know God's, God's law is good. Next we just think about like, how do you use it? How do you not use it? I think we can use God's law, God's holy standard. It shows sin to be sin. God's law, God's holy standard shows sin to be sin. We think uh, Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 13. Talking about the use of the law to expose sin. Paul says this in Romans 7, 7 to 13. What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetedness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through that which is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Think about this. If, if you're driving down highway number two and there's no posted speed limit. And everyone's like, I guess you just go however fast you think you should go. I wonder what, what speed we get up to. And, and you're doing that for some time. Then all of a sudden they just put up some signs. And you're like, whoa, it's, it's 110. Maybe, maybe some of you do that already sometimes. Because you're going past it. But it's like all of a sudden that that law's up there, that that standard's up there, it exposes what we're doing, whether it's right or wrong. That's what God's law does. Like, hey, I think I'm going, I think life's going really good, then all of a sudden, boom, you have this, like, this holy light, you're like, oh, this is the standard, this is what I'm supposed to do. And God's law exposes sin. It shows sin to be sin. And, and that is a good thing. The law is good. If we use it legitimately in the right way, it exposes sin. And then just want to talk about how it should not be used, God's law. God's law should not be used uh, as salvation. It seems like in, in Paul's, or, or in Ephesus, where Timothy was, it seems like these false teachers were like getting people to look into God's law. They were looking for some sort of secret knowledge that if people were following and obeying, there's like a type of salvation that was coming from that. God's law does not give salvation. God's law exposes sin, but God's law does not give salvation. Paul again talks about this in Romans, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Paul writes this, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In Romans 3, 28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. The law, the intention of God's law is to show sin to be sin, to show God's holy standard, but it's not to give salvation. Right? We never want to use something against which it was intended for. If you just think, like, I don't know, I have a, a lawnmower, it's good at cutting grass, it'd be terrible at cutting my hair. Right, like, but such a, a, I just want to give you such a crazy example. You could think of maybe something, a shaving and then cutting grass with it, it would take forever. But just such a crazy example, because that's like trying to use God's law in order to be saved, in order to be made righteous, in order to be right in front of God's eyes. It's not what it was intended for. 
But these false teachers seem to have been doing that. Martin Luther said this, The law is abused when I assign to the law more than it can actually accomplish. Good works are necessary and the law must be kept, but the law does not justify. So we want to use it properly. The law is good. It shows sin to be sin, but it cannot be used for salvation. So again, looking at how to use the law, look at, look at me with verses 9 to, to 10. Now we want to think of how, how to use God's law to expose sin. We kind of already talked about that a little bit. That's what kind of Paul does next. Really, I think, speaking to these false teachers, what they were teaching, what they were holding to, they seem to be practicing some of these things. So Paul goes on talking about the law. He said, understanding this in verse 9, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. The law is not laid down for the just. Now we're just there, like the righteous. And really that's a picture we see in the New Testament of those who are in Christ Jesus. Who have received His righteousness accredited to their account. Like the law is not there uh, for them. They have trusted in the Lord. Right? We are, Romans 3.24 says we are justified by His grace as a gift and the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the law is not for the just. Also Paul writes it like this way in Galatians 5, 22-23, well-known passage, the fruit of the Spirit. You believe in the Lord, you trust in Jesus, you have His Spirit within you. Galatians 5, 22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You have the Spirit of the Lord in you to lead and to guide you. There is no law but Paul. So Paul makes that statement first. The law is not for the just. And then has this long list. And some, some people see this list we're about to look at. It's like the Ten Commandments being broken. Some people, some commentators really see that clearly. This guy, William Mounts, says this. The first three couplets, we'll see groups of two, are offenses against God, like the first four commandment, commandments. The remaining vices, offenses against people, corresponding to the next five commandments. I think, that's, I think that maybe is happening, but I'm not going like, to really take us down that road that much. I think it gets a little bit more convoluted. But just looking at Paul talking about what was being broken, who is the law for, he gives us these, first these three categories of two. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, or rebels and rebellious. This, this term disobedient, commentator says this, it means insubordinate. Use of persons who refuse to be subject to a higher authority. And really these false teachers, they refuse to be subject to God's word, to God's authority. They were lawless and disobedient. They were ungodly and sinners. Isn't it very interesting that the term ungodly, all throughout Paul's writings, Robert Yarborough says this, that often it's the, un it's the ungodly, right, who God justifies. Romans 4, 5, and for whom Christ died, Romans 5, 6. But that's assuming the ungodly receive the gospel message. The problem was there's these false teachers who are making sure the ungodly weren't hearing the gospel message from Jesus Christ of what he had done on the cross. So there's the lawless, the disobedient, the 
ungodly and sinners, kind of painting this picture who it, who would be like actually the opposite of like the true Israelite worshiping God in holiness and fear and reverence. It's like the opposite picture that's being painted. And lastly, it said of them, they're unholy and profane. Unholy and profane. So, so for sure, breaking the first four commandments. Right? Even if we just like, okay, that we should have no other God before us. We should worship no other God. We should have no idolatry before us. And then we start to hold God's law to expose sin. Is there anything that we love more than Him? Like what dominates our, our hearts, our thoughts, our time? Where, where, do our, where do our dreams go to? If we want to start to know, like, are there idols in our hearts? So these people, they, they broke the first four commandments for sure. I pray as we even look at these specific sins, I pray that God's law will be used in our hearts to expose any sin that is there. These seven specific sins are perhaps tied to specific sins or characteristics of the false teachers. The list is it's kind of shocking if we, if we look at it. First it has, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, like those who kill their fathers and mothers, and murderers. Right? Of, of course, within the, the Ten Commandments, you need to honor your father and mother. You need to not murder. So these people were breaking those commandments. Absolutely. Is, it like, is this something that they were doing? It just seems so outrageous. And of course, when we, when we hear this, we're talking about like lawbreakers. We're like, yeah, I, to my knowledge, like, there's no murderers here. But I just want to also show you, like, what did Jesus do with the law? In the Sermon on the Mount, I want to bring your attention there. Matthew 5, uh, 21 to 22. Right? When Jesus preached his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, of course, everyone, you like, you hear, like, yeah, you've heard it said, do not murder. You're like, yeah. I'm, like, I'm good. I, ha I haven't murdered. And then Jesus says this, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Everyone's like, yeah, that's not me. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, like this insult, will be liable to the hell of fire. So he, he took the commandment and we're like, yeah, I think I'm meeting it. And actually showed kind of the heart behind it. You're like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm actually breaking that one too. And so maybe, I don't know if you heard that, but maybe you're just like, okay, for sure, I'm not striking my parents. I'm not murdering people. This list goes on that these False teachers were apparently in. This law is laid down for the sexually immoral. The sexually immoral. Any sexual act committed outside of marriage between a man and a woman, that would be sexual immorality within the Bible. Right? Every act committed in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman, like God sanctioned that, that is good. But everything outside of that, that's sexual immorality. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So for sure that speaks to adultery. For sure it speaks to our hookup culture within our society. For sure it speaks out against, like if it just feels good, just do it. Again, we have kind of maybe what our world, how our society thinks, but then you have God's holy standard. 
And again, the words of, of Jesus, I think, can be helpful here. If, if you know, we're like, okay, like I'm not committing adultery. I, 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 hope, I hope anyone in here who hears that today and is, I hope they'd be convicted to turn, to run to the Lord in repentance. But Jesus, again, added to this in Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman or a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her or him in his heart. Again, Jesus is like, he raises the standard. He's like, here's the heart behind the commandment. Are, you, are we following that? And so that, that type of standard exposes all types of sexual perversion, for sure exposes pornography. There's no such thing as a sin that doesn't affect other people. It's between you and the Lord. That affects someone. If you're struggling with that, oh, I, I, like turn to the Lord. If you're struggling with that, turn to a brother or a sister who can pray with you, help with you. Because that's a sin against God. So not only were these, these seemingly false teachers, they're practicing sexual immorality. They're also, it says, men who practice homosexuality. This is highlighted in this list, this sin against God, this, this sexual deviation. Again, just showing there's God's holy standard. He says, that's a sin. That's not pleasing to me. And there's our society that's saying something very different. But like, why? Why would it matter? Why does it matter? I just want to show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 to 10. We'll start to like, why does it matter if people break God's standard? Why does it matter if someone practices homosexuality? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, Paul wrote this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's why it matters. Because one day we're all going to stand before a holy, righteous God. And the only way to enter in into the kingdom is to repent of our sin. And if you're, you're in that type of sin, or, or someone perhaps you're listening to this, practicing it, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And friends, I, one day I'm going to be held accountable. I'm going to stand in front of the Lord. Did I preach His truth? And I, and I hope by His Spirit, by His grace, I can say, yes, Lord, I was faithful. Our society is like, don't say anything. Only accept. But no, practicing that sin, among other sexual immorality, will keep you out of the kingdom of God. This is why it matters. And of course, there's so much to say there. Obviously, if someone's struggling in that type of sin or other sexual sin, we pray with that person, we walk with them, but call them to repentance. Call them to change. I want you to continue. Look at this list in 1 Timothy there. Following that, there's enslavers. Literally, people who are like human trafficking, like grabbing other people and selling them. This is in this list. And then liars and perjurers. Liars, like one who speaks in a deceptive manner, a perjurer, one who takes an oath and then breaks it by lying. Just think about this. I don't know about you, like in my study, at first I'm like, that's kind of shocking. There seems to be just such an intense list of sins. 
human trafficking, people who are murdering, and liars, and perjurers. And I was, I was thinking about this, like, are you amazed that that's included in the list? And it spoke to me, doesn't that show the value that I place on truth? It's okay to lie. We're like, no, but God's like, no, that's, a, that's breaking my commandment. And so I don't know about you, if any of you have a, have a problem with not telling the truth, that this would expose that, that you could go to the Lord in repentance. And again, why does this matter? If people sin against God and break His commandments, I, I've already kind of spoken to it, but I just want to show you. Revelation 21.8, about the end of times, talking about heaven. Revelation 21.8, there's the people who are in God's kingdom with them. There'll be no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. Those who trust in Jesus Christ. But Revelation 21.8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There's a separation from God and His people. The Bible calls it hell for eternity. Suffering, like that doesn't matter if you break God's commandments, it matters. It matters an eternal difference. So Paul was talking about these people who are breaking the law, and I pray that as we're talking about that, if there's anyone who has some hidden sin, that it would be exposed by God's law. This is what we can do with God's law. It shows how much God holds in His holy standard and exposes our sin against Him. This is again, this is talking about showing the bad news first. You know, you're not just, it's not just good people that just add Jesus. It's like, it's like if you hold up God's holy standard, like where are you? Put it in the right light. Not good people adding Jesus, but rebellious people at odds with God needing a Savior. You just think like if we need to meet God's righteous, holy standard. Sin talks about missing the mark. I don't know if any of you went to like a, a theme park this summer, you know, and they have, you know, get on a roller coaster, you need to be like this high. I don't know how high it is because a long time ago I just met it. <laughs> but, you know, you have to be a certain height to get on. And, and maybe for our kids, sometimes they're like, oh, they're almost there. Like they're missing the mark, but it's like so close. As we sin, it's not like that close. It's like if it was in terms of height, in terms of God's holy righteous standard, it's like the, the CN Tower. And we're like, like the distance is just so huge on our own. And, and so part of using God's law to expose people's hearts is just to show them how great it is. I don't know if anyone's heard of Ray Comfort. Look up Ray Comfort. He's a ministry called Living Waters. And what he does, he goes and shares the gospel. But first, he asks people, like, okay, you're a good person. Yeah, I'm a good person. Okay, like, have you heard the Ten Commandments? And some, yeah, okay, I've heard the Ten Commandments. So let's just look at a few of them. And he's like, have you ever, have you ever lied before? Yeah, I've lied. Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? Oh, yeah, no. I wish I hadn't. And, 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 and even, have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Or man with lust. Or Jesus says, like, that's to me adultery. 
you had anger in your heart, you can just go through a few. It's like, okay, based on your own confession, like you're a liar before a holy God, you're a thief, you're an idol idolater. Right? And it's like, you, you, people need to see, like, oh no, that's God's standard we're talking about. And so you can use that as you're sharing the gospel with people, as you have opportunity. But also, I just say this to that. Some, sometimes, like, some people are like, no, I, I don't believe in God's holy law. They're like, I, I, don't, like, I don't believe in the Ten Commandments. So they're trying to cast off that authority. Some people, you need to just meet them where they're at. Obviously, you're like, what do you believe in? Like, how did we come to be? Start asking them, like, okay, like, how did everything come with order? Try to is there a creator? You've got to establish that. Or if they have any type of morality, why is something right and something wrong? It doesn't, we can't just determine that ourselves. So start to try to, like, meet them where they're at. But I think it is helpful if you're sharing the gospel with someone, you're sharing your faith with someone, to bring in God's law as a standard. So it exposes sin in people's lives. So I think Paul was doing that to these false teachers. He was exposing them uh, for what they were. They were teaching something, uh, but they weren't holding to it. They weren't seeing the fruit of it. They're saying like this would bring salvation, but the fruit of their lives said something very different. Next, I want you to look with me at verses, uh, the second part of verse 10 to 11. I want to talk about how to use God's gospel to free sinners. We use God's law to expose sin. We want to talk about how to use God's gospel to free sinners. So after the list, Paul says, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Whatever else is contrary, like, here's, here's the list I'm talking about. Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, they're put in contrast with each other. We talked about uh, what that is last week. This, this, this word doctrine, it appears 14 times in the pastoral epistles, first and second Timothy and Titus, 14 times. It's a really important word in your Bibles if you're reading, like, underline sound doctrine. Every time you, you see it again, underline it. MacArthur says this, this word sound, from the Greek, huyano, from which we get our English word hygiene. It refers to that which is healthy and wholesome. Paul advocates teaching that produces spiritual life, growth, and health. And again, we talked a little about last week. We'll keep talking about what is the sound doctrine. It, it, it was basically it was like a set of, of fixed teaching that was already established within the New Testament. It was the apostles' teaching. That was sound doctrine. It was the scripture was sound doctrine. Paul refers to it later on in the letter, the letter in 1 Timothy 6.13. He says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness. So sound doctrine like follows with what Jesus had to say. It lines up with the gospel and it accords to godliness. Sound doctrine leads to changed living. And so these teachers were obviously they're like, yeah, we'll look in the Old Testament. We have this secret teaching. But then if you look at their lives, it wasn't according. They weren't living out godliness. So it's. Sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel. That lines up with the gospel. The gospel is good news. We're going to, like, what does that mean? This idea of good news, it, it came from ancient sources. I just want to give you an example. Uh, Isaiah 52, 7 kind of shows us where this term comes. Good news being used for the gospel. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains 
are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your Lord reigns. So this term, good news, like of someone coming and traveling and telling people some good news, whether about like someone's been defeated or a king brought victory, that term, good news, then became the word for the gospel. Someone who brings good news. The term gospel, it appears over 60 times in Paul's writing. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he kind of says, this is like why I exist. He says, I do not account my life, Acts 20, verse 24. I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's like, that's my life purpose. I'm pouring out my life that others would hear the gospel. Just That was his purpose. Question like, what is yours? What is your life all about? And if, if you're a Christ follower, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I would say like your life needs to be about the gospel. And like wherever you are, whether it's whatever workplace you have, Lord, Lord, let me do this work to the best of my ability to honor you and looking for opportunities to share the gospel with people. You're at home with your kids or family members. Let me to be about the gospel, letting people know I have different hobbies. Where I am, I need to be about making the name of Jesus Christ known. So Paul was talking about sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. It's, it's an interesting phrase. Some of you, if you have a different translation, you'll say it differently in your Bible. Because with the Greek, you're not sure like where does the glory go? Does the glory go with the gospel? Does the glory go with God? The glory in other places can be with the gospel. If you think in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about like beholding God, beholding God's glory, and we're transformed from glory to glory. So you think the message of Jesus Christ and what, what he's done in our lives, like that message allows us to give honor, glory, respect to God. So there, there is glory in the gospel that we see there, in a lot of places in Scripture, even later on. Psalm, uh, Psalm 24, it speaks of the, the King of glory, the glory giving to God, splendor and honor to which he deserves. So I believe it's rightly translated here in the ESV. We have the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. The glory is coming from God. Even this, this term kind of, it sounds a little bit weird, but the blessed God, as in, talks about his unique and privileged status. There's, there's no one like him. He's the one who gives out blessing. He's the one who gives out honor. And then he says what? With which I have been entrusted. He's been entrusted with the gospel. He's been entrusted with the message. In, in Galatians 2.7, Paul talks about, hey, Peter, he was entrusted with the gospel to the Jewish people. But for me, I've been entrusted with the gospel, Paul's saying to, to the, the pagan people, to the uncircumcised, like this is my mission. And that term entrusted, like given. Given something in which you're to do something with it. We talked about this as we look, started looking at 1 Timothy, like, Paul was entrusted with the gospel, and not just like a message to proclaim, but a message to guard. Like these false teachers were bringing in a different message that was counter, it was opposite of the gospel. So he needed to not only like proclaim it, but also defend it. And then he passed it on to Timothy. Hey, Timothy in Ephesus, 
One thing, among anything else you're supposed to be about, you're supposed to be about the gospel. Now I've entrusted it to you. Now proclaim it. And again, that, that, that gospel has been entrusted to us. Like whatever else our church is doing, it needs to be about, it needs to be about the gospel front and center. It needs to be about Jesus Christ. We could run in so many different directions. We could expand energy in so many different things. But if we're not about making the name of Jesus Christ known and what he did on the cross, he's buried and rose again, it's all for naught. We've also been entrusted with the gospel. But friends, I, what I want you to see, again, looking at this passage, how do we use God's gospel to free sinners? So say, say you're sharing with someone and you, you've used God's law, you've exposed in their hearts where they are. And friends, I want you to see how to use, if we think about how to use the law properly as it exposes sin. Just, just think about this, if you will. I don't know if there's some people you know Maybe they don't know the Lord. And just like picture this, and you're, you're kind of looking off in the distance, and you see all these, these people who don't know God, and it's kind of dark, so you can't really see too well, but it, it looks like they're partying, it looks like they're having a good time, it looks like they're happy. But then like God's law, like shows, sheds a light, and actually shows their hearts, and exposes sin, and it highlights rebellion. And it shows actually people in chains, either their habits or their sin. It shows people ashamed of some of the things that they would do in, in darkness. And it shows people in rebellion ready to shake their fists at God. This is what God's law is doing, exposes them. But then you, we go there, but then we don't stay there, right? We need to bring in the gospel. A word I've been saying a number of times, let's just think, like, what is the gospel? Do you know the gospel? Of course, it needs to start with Jesus. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. Whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. So first thing is like, He given the bad news, like we're not in a good place between us and God. So bringing Jesus, God sent Jesus, He lived a perfect life. And then we want to, want to beeline to the cross. Romans 3. 23 to 25. I just want to share this with you. You can go to a number of different places. Of course, it starts with, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we need to start. Not that like, hey, I'm just going to add Jesus. Like, no, I need to see myself underneath God's standard. I don't meet it. And verse 24, And are justified by His grace as a gift. It's a, it's a gift of God that He gives us. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This redemption that He would buy people back from a life of sin. That He would bring forgiveness back from those who are enemies of God. I want you to see in this passage. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. You don't have to remember the word propitiation. But what you do, you've got to tell people about Jesus. You've got to bring them to the cross. And this word propitiation, you don't need to remember it, but remember what it stands for. It stands for two things. That half that Jesus did on the cross was one, is that our sins were paid for, they're forgiven. A wrong made right. But it's more than that. Imagine one of you say you lent someone a thousand dollars 
and, and you kept hounding them to pay you back, and it took like 10 or 15 years. And eventually they gave you the money back. And so the wrong was made right, but you're like, I don't really like this person anymore. It took this long, I don't trust them. Well, on the cross, first there was like a wrong made right. Jesus paid for our sins. But the second aspect is the relationship between us and God is restored. That's what Jesus did in the cross. It's not just like forgiven and like, okay, yeah, I, I know about you though. It's like you're forgiven, but then your relationship's restored with God. So you need to, the gospel, we need to tell them about Jesus. We need to bring them to the cross. And it says it's to be received by faith. And what that is, if we would add in, it's repentance. It's like, hey, you see your sin, you see you fall short, like, yes, I see it, I'm confessing it, this is not right before God. It's repentance, it's turning away from sin, and then trusting in Jesus in faith. So it's like, it's not just like, yeah, I feel bad, Lord, forgive me. It's like, no, I see this is displeasing to God, I'm, I want to leave that there. God, help me, I'm turning away, and I'm turning, I'm believing in Jesus, I'm believing that He died for me. That what he did on the cross is sufficient for me. Often we're thinking, yeah, it's, it's for everyone. I'm talking for me. And he paid for my sins. And we put our faith and, we, and our trust in him. So after you expose someone's heart with the law, now you need to bring them Jesus Christ. You need to show them the Savior. Friends, I want to show you again this passage in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. I didn't read the next verse. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were made holy, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And the beauty of the gospel, right? Enemies believe in Jesus, become loyal subjects to God. Having like shame and wrongdoing and, and just like deep in our heart. And then in Jesus Christ, we be cleansed and we can be made new. Our sin paid for, forgiven, the unrighteous. By Jesus Work on the cross. Now I receive His righteousness, His perfect life. Amazing. If you're a Christian, you've experienced this reality. And again, now the message, it falls in our hands. This message of the gospel. So you've seen this morning, how, how can you expose sin by the law? Break down people's self-righteousness. How can we expose our lives before God? Others, but we don't stay there. Then we point them to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. And just again, I'll keep asking, who in your life needs to hear the message of the gospel? Friends, I was out yesterday. It's, it's beautiful outside. The leaves are changing. They're falling. Summer's gone. Fall's here. It'll soon be winter. Our, the life it just goes by so quick. Is there someone you know who's like, man, they need to hear about Jesus. And I'm the one who knows them. Who's that person that comes to mind? I call the, the, this message the good, the bad, and the gospel. And really, like, that's our lives now. We've got the good and the bad, and we're a mess, and then we bring in the gospel. And that's what we do to other people as we're sharing, yeah, you have the good, 
we have God's lifestyle, and then there's the bad. And then we want to bring in the gospel. That is where our hope is found. If you want to bow with me and close this word in prayer. Oh Lord, you have given us this message. You've given us sound doctrine. You've given us your spirit. Lord, help us not be silent Christians. Oh Lord, I know many of us can push us out of our comfort zone. Are there not people you want us to share with? In Red Deer, surrounding area, family. Give us eyes to see, oh Lord. Help us to grow in our ability how to use your law properly. And oh, give us an increased ability in our, in our words, in our passion, in our heart to share the gospel. To make Christ's name known. Lord, use us, I pray. That you would use those words by your spirit to help sinners find freedom in Christ. Seal this word in our hearts, Lord, again. That which is, is from you, Lord, may we have deep within us, Lord, that which is from me, may it fall to the side. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.